0: Praise God! Open your Bibles to the Book of Isaiah, and we are going to uh, get back into our our dive into Isaiah 53. What He did for us, what Jesus did for us. Some of you who may be new to all this may say, "Well, how can this be talking about Jesus? Isn't the Old Testament before Jesus?" Yes, but what you learn real quick is that everything in the Old speaks to Him, everything in the New speaks of Him. That he's all through it. In fact, uh, as you read through the book of Isaiah, you can't help but run across Jesus so many times. There was a promise from the garden. Moments after mankind's first sin, there was a promise that a redeemer would come. Didn't take long. In fact, the scripture says that Jesus was, this plan that he would die for us and rise again had been predetermined, predestined before the beginning of the world. And we before the beginning of the world, he saw us and called us to his family. And so, you know, uh, while mankind messed things up, God knew that there would already be a plan of redemption. He was not taken off guard. He, he had a plan. And so in Isaiah, we see a picture of the servant. Many times he talks about the, the, the spirit that he's going to fill his servant in, with. Um, he named seven things earlier in a different place in Isaiah. And yet here, uh, he speaks of the servant. And often if you, if you might have a chapter heading that says this, he speaks of the suffering servant because Isaiah 53, more than anything, speaks about that moment when Jesus took our sin upon himself and paid the ultimate price for it. It speaks of the cross. And so, uh, when we look at Isaiah 53, I think it's important that we see Jesus not just in historical, Well, that's what he did, but understanding that if he did it, if he paid this price, I should be partaking in this now. I should be saying, this is what he did for me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't continue to say, this is mine to carry when Jesus took it. And on Isaiah 53, there's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus would do. He, in fact, we talked about this last week, but there was the misconception as humanity looked at Jesus, they thought, this is God vindicating us. He's suffering because he deserves to suffer. And yet it goes on and says, but it turns out he was suffering for us, that it was our sin that he bore on himself. He was the perfect one. The religious leaders pointed at Jesus and said, if, you, if your father loves you so much, why doesn't he help you? If you truly are the son of God, why don't you come down? Because to them... The proof that he was perfect, the proof that he was loved, the proof that he was the son of God was that he wouldn't have to suffer this. But to Jesus, the proof that he was who he was was that he was there in that moment. This is why he came. Isaiah 53, let's pick up in verse four. Surely, surely, does everybody know? Can you grasp what that word surely means? I'm not looking for a "Don't call me Shirley" joke right now. That's not, not really what I'm fishing for. We know what this "surely" means. That means there is no doubt left. There's no question left. Surely is certainly. It is without doubt, without dispute. Surely our griefs He Himself bore. You notice how it says he himself, he himself, he doesn't need your help to bear this. Surely our griefs he bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, Smitten of God and afflicted. This is what I was talking about before. We thought God was doing something to him for something he'd done. But that wasn't the case at all. He says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being or our peace fell upon him. And by his scourging, his whipping, his stripes, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I want to go back to that thought, surely, surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. You go back and you say, well, what does that mean, our griefs and our sorrows? What what does that mean that that they were on him? What's the source of these griefs and sorrows? Um, There's been a lot of people go back and forth and say, because depending on the translation you have, it might say infirmities, it might say uh, diseases, it might say griefs and sorrows because those words could be used both ways. I'm here to tell you today that I believe it's all. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you spirit, soul, and body. The Scripture is very clear that he did not just buy your spirit. He bought everything. He did not just pay for your spirit. He paid for everything. And so when it says this, that my griefs and my sorrows he bore, I, of course, I see that as the grief and the sorrow. And, 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 and you can look at this from so many different directions, because first of all, you could say, you know, we all kind of have to deal at times with, with, with the, the grief and the sorrow of our own making. Mm-hmm. At times, I look back and say, I brought this on myself, but he carried it on himself, there's other times you might say there are griefs and sorrows that, that I don't think I had anything to do with. He carried those too. Well, what about physical infirmity? I'm gonna show you in Scripture in the Gospels in a moment that this certainly does apply f- to physical infirmity as well. You know, we, we, we believe very strongly here that you let Scripture interpret Scripture. If you have a doubt as to what it means, there's, there's a good chance somewhere else he's going to affirm his own word. If you build a doctrine that's based on one verse and you can't find anything else to back it up, you may have misinterpreted that verse. It's usually what I found. I mean, maybe that's not a universal truth, but I found if you can only find one verse that says it, this is the only verse that proves your crazy doctrine. There's probably a reason. You probably misread that one verse because God's word is eternal. It's alive. It's multidimensional. It'll speak to itself. And so we see it throughout the scripture that, that he means this in the sense of the grief and the sorrow that I bear as, uh, you know, in an emotional sense and a spiritual sense, but also physical. And, you know, when we look at what is the source of all these griefs and sorrows, we all, we can go back to the fall We can go back to Adam, right? Where the world was cursed. There was no sickness in the earth before Adam. There was no... Grief and sorrow before sin. Now, you may ask, like the disciples asked, you may say, well, what caused this person's sickness? What did they do? But Jesus corrected them. And first of all, the, the question was kind of dumb. There was a man who'd been born uh, with a disability and they, they, he was a blind man. And they, they asked, you know, what did this, did this man sin or did his parents sin that he would be born blind? And we've talked about this, but I don't know what your doctrine is on fetal sin. I believe it's very difficult for a fetus to sin. I don't know if they're really aware of, of, uh, of what they're doing. I mean, you may feel, some of you pregnant ladies echo, I don't know, sometimes you feel like that baby is sinning when they <laughs> kick you when you're trying to sleep. But, but really, I think it's an innocent kid. When I say I think, we all believe that, come on if there's no wackos here that really believe that there's like drug deals going down in the womb or something like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> kid just came out evil. <laughs> Nobody really believes that. Hollywood believes that. And yet the kid came into a world that's, that's broken. That's, right. that's broken due to sin. The Bible says in Adam, we all sinned. Yes. And through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we we're all made new. We we're made righteous. So they ask, who sent this kid or his parents? Well, first of all, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's a silly question to ask if the kid send. oh, he came out blind. What did you do in there? What did you do? But then it's also kind of silly to, to say, what did the parents do? What kind of God just says, well, you know, this is what's going to happen. Now, that said, they may have had some cause to believe that in the old covenant law. There were, it is in the scripture that said the sins of the father would be visited on the children. King David had a son who died as a result of his own sin. So it wasn't completely out of left field. However, what did Jesus say? Does anybody remember Jesus' answer? Yeah. Neither. This said, you know, when we, start, when we start doing our detective services and try to figure out why everything is wrong, and we try to look at people's lives and say, where did you sin? We're usually on a very, very wrong path. God didn't call you to do that. In fact, Show me a scripture where Jesus goes, you're lame. What did you do? You got a demon. What did you do? Paralyzed. What did you do? Do you know, not once in the gospels did he ever ask anybody what they did to deserve it. I think sometimes we, did, we brought stuff on ourselves and sometimes you were just broke, born into a broken world where things are broken. And it's broken because of sin. It may not be your sin, but it's sin. Nevertheless, and we've all partaken in it. So, some people are just born broken because Adam sinned, my goodness. They, they, they came into that world, but it's not really the point anymore, is it? In fact, I want to tell you about a great verse that God said in Jeremiah when he was talking about uh, this, this sins of the fathers maybe would be visited on the kids. He says in Jeremiah, and he talks about the day when the Redeemer would come, this new covenant. He says, in those days... You will no longer say our fathers drank sour wine and so our teeth are set on edge. Our children's teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? The kids are paying for what the dad did. He says, in that day, you'll not say that any longer. In this new covenant, that's not going to be a thing. Do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus himself partook of sour wine on the cross? On that day, he not only took our sins, he took that generational curse and did away with it so somebody tells me I think I'm doing this because my parents did something I say well you know what get under the blood my goodness this is a new covenant guys Jesus said nobody sinned why are you trying to assign blame to this the point isn't that we figure out what someone did wrong the point is we came that God would be glorified that this person's going to be healed so if Jesus didn't go around asking somebody what they did wrong to be sick, do you think we should? Or do you think we should just be an instrument of Jesus? I truly believe there are people, some things are broken because they're broken. Do you know what I mean? Some things are broken because they're just broken. The world is broken. Things are falling apart. But Jesus is the Redeemer. Right? Here he says, I carried this. Sometimes we, we carry emotional uh, mental issues that, that are no fault of your own. Something's wrong, something's broken. Sometimes we carry it because of the weight of something that we've been carrying. And we say, I did this to myself. You have to realize that either way, Jesus took it. Either way, he paid for it. You know, it's, it's a funny thing for us that believe in the word and believe in the power of God to heal. It's, it's funny, in our ranks, there will be times where we will happily lay hands on people who need to be healed and yet we can't grab, it on, grab onto it for ourselves because somehow there are times where we say, yeah, but this was my fault. I've talked to great men and women of God who've worked in, an, worked in a great anointing of healing and, and they said the times it was difficult for them to get, to get free was that they kept saying, yeah, but I brought this on myself. I lifted something I shouldn't have lifted. I, I went too long without sleep. I ate something I shouldn't have eaten. Like they, somehow I did this to myself. And so, well, yeah, God's mercy is great. His grace is great. But man, I did this. Don't you know that Jesus is the same healer? Yeah. I know for Tia, my wife, you know, she had seen so many miracles in her life as a kid, so many miracle after miracle after miracle. She just had this great expectation of God. And yet, right when we, right before we were going to get married, she lifted a desk that she shouldn't have lifted. And her parents told her, you should not lift that desk by yourself. But if anybody knows my wife, you know that she, when she has an idea about redecorating, she will get it done. (laughs) I come home and see furniture that Two guys should have carried, and she moved it somehow. And I don't know how she did it. And I always lecture. I say, wait for me. You know, this is why you married somebody, for nothing else than to help you move this. (laughs) I couldn't. I had it in my head. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I wouldn't be able to relax until I got it done. So she lifted this desk, and she really damaged her back there was something just over and over we were dealing with and we were in a meeting in Texarkana, Texas where Tracy Harris was talking about something that he did where he just saw God restore so many things but there was one thing that it was was his fault. He was being careless with something and he did it. He said, I had to realize that that." That the same healer that healed me when there was nothing, when I did nothing wrong to deserve it, is the same healer that took it when I did something wrong to deserve it. I brought this on myself. I, I, I was careless. I was stupid. I did something. And Tia got a revelation on that day. She said, It's true. Every time I pray, and I, I, every time I pray and I ask the Lord, God, I, I don't want to deal with this back pain anymore. I'm, Lord, heal this back. She said, In my back of my mind, I'm always thinking, Yeah, but you knew better. You knew better. You knew you shouldn't have lifted that desk. This is your fault. Where do you think that voice comes from? The accuser of our brethren who accuses us day and night. The same dragon that was a serpent in the garden. How do we overcome him? That verse that says he's the accuser of the brethren goes on. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony, and they love not their life even unto death. So what do you come back at that accusing voice with? You don't come back to the accusing voice and say, well, but let me justify my reasons here. The desk had to be moved. or You know, I got sorrow because there's a broken relationship, but it was my fault But it's not all my fault because it's really their fault as well. And so, you know, I've been dealing with the stress and the sorrow over a lost relationship. But you know what? I, I don't think I can go to God because I'm the one that broke it. But they were the one that too. Do you go back and try to justify it? Or do you just say, thank you, Jesus, that you took it, that you're my healer? I mean, I really take a lot, I think we should learn over and over again for, with how Jesus dealt with, with sick people, with, with oppressed people, with demon-possessed people, with, with all, people of all sorts of diseases and sicknesses, how did he deal with them? What was the conversation he had with them? And in almost every case, it was just simply be healed. It wasn't a long counseling session, it was be healed. Now sometimes we need counseling after, don't we? That's why those that followed him and stayed with him got, pla- got past a place of just temporary healing and got to a place of wholeness and true health. Do you know what I mean? In fact, Jesus said to his disciples after the, after the crowd was so excited that he fed them, he said, you know what? You really should be wanting the bread that doesn't perish. These people are following me because I gave them physical bread, but you need to follow me because I've got bread that is eternal. So, so often Jesus would heal someone's physical need, but what they needed deeper than that was spiritual healing, was something deeper. That's another sermon for another time. Let's go back into this where he says, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Now, I want you to go with me to the scripture in Matthew chapter 8, where it speaks of Jesus and it, it references this verse. In verse one, it says, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Thank God. That's probably the first thing we need to deal with when it comes to healing is God willing. And I can tell you his answer is I'm willing. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. To my slave, I say, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, or literally, amen, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and they will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in that place. They will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you believe. Now what does he mean, the sons of the kingdom? He means those that had a right to come to that table would give up their right because they they refused to just have faith in him. Because Abraham was not a father. By natural means, Abraham was a father of faith. He goes on and he says, okay, go. It will be done for you as you believed. The servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. Well, Tell you what, man, that's the kind of healings we need more of. Heal a lady, heal a guy, heal some man or a woman either way, and they get up and start serving you food. This is a win-win situation for everybody, right? Can you imagine this lady? She's like sick in bed with a fever. She thinks she might die. Jesus touches her hand, and the first thing she says is, they're in my house, and they don't have snacks, and she's got to go up, and she's got (laughs) to prepare. I wonder if the disciples thought, is that why you did it, Jesus? Is that why we had to do it right away? No, he did it because he had compassion on her. He did it because that was what he came to do. Right? It says, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all, all who were ill. There was not anyone who came to him that he turned away and said, not you. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried our diseases. So back to that Isaiah 53 when we asked ourselves, is he, what's he talking about? Does this include physical things? Well, the writer of the gospels who is under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit says it clearly. This is what Isaiah was talking about. This is clearly it. So, you know, thank God, I believe Isaiah 53 completely talks about our spiritual redemption. I think it talks about our completely, uh, the, 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 the cleansing and the redeeming of our souls. And yet, clearly, he says here that when Jesus started healing the sick, this is what Isaiah was talking about when he said he carried... And some translations say infirmities and diseases and some say griefs and sorrows. He said here, infirmities and diseases, he took them away. That's really cool. Because Isaiah 53 is showing us the reality through the cross and after the cross. So the fact is, is that it's, it's, when we say fulfilled, some people think fulfilled means it's the end of it but that's not what fulfilled really means in the scripture. When Peter says and on the day of Pentecost, this is to fulfill, this is that which Joel spoke, that in the last days I would do all these things, this is what's happening. He's not saying this is the last time it'll happen because Joel said this will happen until the great and notable day of the Lord, until the moon turns to blood and all these signs happen. We all know that hasn't happened yet. So the last days that Peter said this is it, They're still going on. And when Jesus fulfilled this, it wasn't the end of it because he kept healing. And when he died and rose again and ascended to the Father, his disciples kept healing. And you might say, well, is it limited to the 12? What if it was just the last apostles? Well, then you have to explain guys like Philip who went and kept healing. You have to explain men like Paul and Barnabas and Silas who went and kept healing. You have to explain men like James who wrote, if anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. The elders will lay their hands on him, anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. He doesn't say, until John dies, then that's it. Until the, until, until the last, until, until the Nicene Council when we finally just bang out which scriptures are going to be scriptures and then that's it. No. If we're going to believe, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe in the holding scripture as a high, highest authority. But if we're going to do that, then how can you hold the scripture in high authority and not believe it when it says this is what you do if there's a sick person? How does that work? So he says here, In Matthew, that Jesus did this. Now, notice he, he, notice the different types of things. The first one that he heals is a leper. You imagine a leper. Wrongly, but but commonly, lepers were viewed as not only physically unclean but somehow spiritually unclean. In the law of Moses, a leper was to be kept outside the city. Well, there's a real good reason for it. That's contagious. Right? So you have to keep them outside the city because if they're or outside the camp, because if they're amongst the people, then, they're, you know, this infection is going to spread. This is how, you know, they, they, they are carrying an infectious disease. That in that day and age, they were more prone to. Nowadays, it's called Hansen's disease. There's really good cures for it. But even up until the, the 19th, 20th century, uh, there were great outbreaks of leprosy. You know, you go to Molokai in, in Hawaii, and that was a leper colony. And so you see see this throughout history. Well, these guys were put to the outside of the camp. And, you know, after you put people to the outside of the camp, uh, it's not that hard to jump from they're outside the camp physically to a place where you treat them outside the camp in every other sense. You know, when God used the lepers to feed the city, when they were surrounded and under siege, the lepers considered for a moment, what if we just took the food? But instead, they said, no, we should go tell these people who are starving that, that the, the angels of the Lord have caused the Assyrian army to flee. Let's go back. But, but nobody really cared. Nobody asked themselves, hey, we're starving. What about the lepers? Because no one thought about these guys. When the 10 lepers came to Jesus, there were people that, that I'm sure were shocked that these guys were so daring as to come so close. So like it or not, these guys were born or, or contracted a disease through no fault of their own. And yet they were treated as though they were impure, unclean. Because the law of Moses made, made um, uh, 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 regulations for physically unclean people. Infectious. Uh, In a a society that didn't have modern technology or modern medicine, They, they said, you know, you need to go outside the camp at these times. But without doubt, people treated them like they were unclean spiritually, like they were unclean people, that they're just people that God doesn't want. It's a radical thought when Jesus said to Peter on that roof that day in the book of Acts, he said to him, don't you dare call unclean what I've cleansed. Do you know why? Jesus said, present yourself to the, to the priest as is stated in the law of Moses. Because even in the Old Testament, God made provision for a leper to be healed. They had a regulation for this person to go. But you know what? Lepers just weren't being healed until Jesus came. I'm sure it happened somewhere back there. I mean, it certainly happened with Elijah But it wasn't happening as often as it should, especially when Jesus came. And then Jesus came and the lepers started coming. Jesus sent his disciples and said to find the lepers and cleanse them. Then he goes on and he he says, after the leper, a centurion comes and he says, my servant. So what's, what's, what's wrong with the centurion? Well, the centurion has really no right to come to Jesus because Jesus said, I've come to the house of Israel. I haven't come for you. What seems shocking, there was another lady who came to him and said, hey, can, can, I need you, I need you, we need your healing. And she, she came on behalf of her kid and she said, you know, can you heal us? And, and, and Jesus said, I didn't come for you. I came for the house of Israel. I didn't come for you Gentiles. And she said, he said, should I take the food from the kid's table and feed it to the dogs? And can you imagine Jesus implying that you were a dog? Because of the fact that you weren't born an Israelite? And the woman says to him, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the kids' table. And Jesus says, wow, what great faith. How come I don't see any faith like this in Israel? Go, you'll have exactly what you've asked for. See, the the times that Jesus was most impressed were when people who had no right to ask him for anything asked him for something. That's when he was most impressed. And do you know why they had great faith? Because they didn't come to him. So many of the Jewish people came to him and said things like the rich young ruler. I've kept the law. I've done everything right. This guy came to him and said, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. But I know you can heal my servant. There was faith. And the reason the faith was greater than those in Israel was that their faith was entirely on the goodness of Jesus and not at all on their own goodness. Do you hear the centurion say, well, you know, I donate to the synagogue. I've been real nice to the Jewish people. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I'm not worthy, but you can do this. The great faith was a result of people saying, it's, I'm not asking because I'm good. I'm asking because you're good. That is the soul of healing. That is the soul of redemption. When you say, I'm not expecting something from you because I did something right. I'm expecting something from you because you are good. I remember reading a book by a great man of God who who has since gone on to be with the Lord. And he talked about how he struggled in in the healing ministry. He knew God wanted people healed. He knew, knew evil spirits were supposed to leave people. But he struggled with it. Sometimes he saw it and sometimes he didn't. And it wasn't until he got a revelation that God wanted to heal these people. He said, I got a revelation that God wanted these people healed. That it wasn't me trying to plead with God for them to be healed. It was rather God saying, I want to heal them. Would you let me use you? Yes. That's when he began to see healing work in his ministry. When he got a revelation, God's not healing these people because I want it so bad. God's healing these people because that's what he wants. Can you get come to grips that God wants you well? And I'm not just talking about physically. Every area of your life Oh, I know, but you know, I really, there's a lot of issues I'm working through and they're probably, you know, I did this and I did that. We well, forget this. Did Jesus bear it or did Jesus bear it? Can you embrace this? Can you embrace his sacrifice? Then he goes and he heals demon-possessed people. He casts them out with a word. He doesn't say, what movies were you watching? <laughs> Tell me your darkest secrets because this is how this demon got in. He simply says, get out. Now, of course, Jesus also taught that if I'm going to cast out an evil spirit out of the house, that you've got to occupy the house. So I'm sure there is teaching following their deliverance. Don't fall into the same traps because when they come back, they'll come back worse. So when we see people with evil spirits that flee them and, and guys, it's 2018. We're still dealing with the same thing. You might say, well, no, wasn't this superstition? I've heard people say this. I've heard educated Christian people say, well, that was all kind of superstition. Now we know the the medical reasons that people were suffering with it. Then you have to explain to me how when Jesus cast out an evil spirit, they got better. If it was superstition, they wouldn't have got better. And I'm not talking about people saying, I think I feel sane. I'm talking about kids who could not speak, could not utter a word because a spirit was on them when he cast out that unclean spirit, they could speak. Well, that's not superstition. It's not superstition when you see the evidence of it. Especially we could never accuse Jesus of superstition. That would be a bad move. Back to Matthew chapter 4. Skip back a few ver- chapters. Matthew four twenty-three. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. How many of you believe that the gospel is not a class to be taught? It is a message to be proclaimed. Amen. There's time for teaching. There's time for imparting wisdom. But the gospel is meant to be announced as good news and demonstrated with power. He was teaching in their synagogues. So he was teaching. And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So what what was he teaching in the synagogues? Well, I'm sure he was doing what he taught in the other synagogues, which was teaching them from the Old Testament, here's me. This is what I'm here to do. And in that moment, the teaching and the proclaiming came together. You can't paint it better than in Luke 4. When he opens the book to Isaiah 61, he says, this is me. This is talking about me. When he says that, I mean, there's, he's teaching them, he's explaining it, he's also proclaiming it, he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your midst, and if you look at Luke 4, after he says, this is what I'm here to do, the result is, people started bringing him sick, and oppressed, and and, and blind people, this was what, they were responding to the good news, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing Every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. If you believe like I do, that the scripture is not just some ramblings of people that had something on their heart, but rather God-breathed, then I believe there's meaning behind how things are said. When, he, when the writer here, when Matthew writes, he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, that's important to me. And you have to understand they come from a culture where different diseases and sicknesses to them had different causes and reasons. And some things are not your fault, but some things surely are. And when Jesus came, he healed every kind. Every kind. You know that we right now have diseases that they didn't know about. And yet even the diseases we're dealing with now had their roots in things Jesus dealt with 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid the price for diseases they didn't even have names for. They, Jesus paid the price for, for viruses that hadn't been, been, uh, hadn't evolved to this point yet, and Jesus still dealt with it, but he healed every kind of disease, healed every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all of Syria. All of Syria, who's in Syria? Well, there's certainly some Jewish people, but there's probably some Gentiles in Syria. Syria is not Israel. There's Israelites living in Syria, but there's also Gentiles. He says it spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And the writer here goes to great effort, To show you that there's not one type of illness that he didn't touch. Do you figure that we should carry on the ministry of Jesus even today? Do you think that Jesus cares about things like this? I believe he does. The debate goes on and and many people have brought it up. Why did Jesus heal? And there are people that will tell you that Jesus healed to show that he was the Messiah. And so we don't need that now because now we have the scripture that shows he's the Messiah. Well, I know that his miracles were signs that he was the Messiah. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. If it were just to prove he had power, could he have not called down fire on a village? Could he have not moved a mountain? Could he have not divided the sea? Could he not give leprosy to somebody? How many people did Jesus give a disease to? Zero. Why is that? It's not just that it wasn't his mission, it wasn't his nature. And he said, if you see me, you see my Father. So if we want to know what God's like, I think the best person to look at is Jesus. And if Jesus went about healing, then I think it's God's desire, not just his, his somehow robotic, if I do this, they will know that I am God. But when he healed, it was because it was his heart. How many times does the scripture say Jesus was moved with compassion, so he healed them? God feels compassion. Jesus loves the broken. Jesus loves the poor. Jesus loves the sick. Jesus loves the afflicted. And he loves them enough to say, I have what you need. Want to say something that I think is the core and the point of what we've been talking about. Because I, I think that there may be some of us, first and foremost, we need to just remove judgment from our own hearts and our own attitudes about how we look at ourselves and how we look at one another. You know, Paul didn't seem to need. To offer an explanation as to why Trophimus was still sick in Miletus. Didn't say it's because Trophimus is a bum. He doesn't know the word like I know it. (laughs) Hey, I think that Trophimus is still fighting. I believe Trophimus got healed. Mm -hmm. I hope. But why didn't he get healed right away? I have a very simple view of the scripture that if it didn't say it, it's because it's none of my business. And I have this attitude with a lot of people. Sometimes there's things that are none of my business. Well, why did my grandma die? I don't know. God didn't tell me. It was none of my business. Now, if you seek the Lord and you need that answer, he'll show you. I don't know how he'll show you, but he'll show you. I certainly had to come to terms with why my father died. And I'll tell you that it took time and prayer for me to say, so so how about this? God, why is my dad still not here right now? Is it because he missed something? Did he not know? You know what? The answers I got were not the questions I was asking. (laughs) But I walked out of there saying, I am, I know. I know that I know that I know that the next time I see somebody with pancreatic cancer, I can believe that God's going to heal them with the same faith I did before my dad contracted pancreatic cancer. See, in my dad's ministry, he saw many people with cancer healed. Somebody might say, well, why not him? Physician, heal thyself. And I got to tell you something, we're not going to live forever. None of us are, except in the real sense of living forever with him. And there's some questions that God will reveal to you if you'll seek him, but he may not reveal it to you in the, in, in, in the simple A plus B equals C way. It may come first to your spirit. You know, when I, when I got a piece about where my dad was and why he was there, I'm just being real honest with you today. Is that okay, guys? Is it okay if I'm just straight with you? Because, you know, these are probably questions you've asked. It first resonated in my spirit in a way that if you asked me the question I just felt I had an answer for, I wouldn't have been able to tell you with my words. But I knew, I knew, I knew in my spirit that the same Jesus that healed then heals now and that that didn't change a thing. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I wasn't wrestling with this in the way that I was before then. I had a peace inside of me. I said, thank God I know it. And I believe if my dad were here today, he'd say the same thing to you. So we can either base our beliefs on our experiences, or we can base our beliefs on the scripture and what God says. And I would far rather believe what the word says. Then just going back and saying, what about this and what about that? So, the first thing we need to do is remove judgments. So when the disciples said, What did these guys do wrong that this man is born blind? Jesus shuts them up and says, That's not the point. We're looking for it. We want reasons. We want answers. Audrey, what'd you do wrong? I know you did something. Good people don't deal with stuff like this. What if Audrey's just, what if she did? What if she didn't? What if it's none of my business? What if what Jesus asked me is, be my hands, be my feet in this moment? Lay hands on Audrey and watch her recover. Let me deal with everything else. So Jesus says to a paralytic, the guy comes in through the roof, which is a classic entrance. If you want to make an entrance in church, come through the roof. That's the best way. The club is packed. The church is packed. There's no room. We could come to the second service or we could go to the roof and just cut a hole and destroy. It says this was Jesus' house. It was Jesus' house that the guy wrecked. How do you feel about wrecking Jesus' house? He was a carpenter. Sure, fine. How easy would it be? for you to lay how easy would it be for you maybe this is why jesus said to him your sins are forgiven <laughs> what sins lord he wrecked my roof that's sin <laughs> they had a problem with that right the man is a, is paralyzed and jesus says take up your bed and walk and your sins are forgiven uh-huh. and everybody who's been okay with him healing people automatically goes wait what now <laughs> His what or what? Your sins are forgiven. How can you do that? Who gives you the right to do that? And he says, it's so hard for you to believe that I can fix a guy who's paralyzed, but I'm not allowed to say his sins are forgiven. Now you may say, did one thing have to do with the other thing? And you know what? Jesus didn't tell us. He just said, you're healed and your sins are forgiven. Can we embrace that those are all part of the same sacrifice? This is what I need to get to. This is the point I need to make today. This is the point. So listen closely. You have a right to be healed. And your right to be healed is tied up in what Jesus did. That's the point that you need to get today. We struggle and say, what? maybe them, but not me. Maybe them, but not me. Can you just believe I have a right to be healed and it's not anything I did, it's what Jesus did. And the same blood that cleansed my sin is the same blood that can heal me. James says, we quoted it earlier, but he says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And he says, and if he has any sins they'll be forgiven him. Is his sin connected to his sickness? He doesn't say. He just says, the same Jesus that heals the man, heals his body, heals his spirit. He says, if you've sinned, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Is he talking about physical healing or spiritual, emotional, soul healing? He's talking about everything. Can you just release every brokenness, every bit of brokenness in yourself, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, can we put all that brokenness back where it belongs on the cross and say, I have a right to be made whole. It sounds arrogant when I say, I have a right to anything. It sounds arrogant to an unbelieving heart or a religious spirit. You know what, it's, when you say I have a right, you're not saying I'm worthy on my own because I'm, I'm unworthy of all of this on my own. But the blood has made me worthy. And the, any rights I have have come from what he did for me. Remove the pointing of fingers. Remove the why hasn't happened yet for me, why not for them. Can we just embrace he's my healer? He's my healer, and I've. Every one, not every one of you, but many of you, have walked through the instant boom right there. In a moment, it went away, and others of you have had to fight a battle for some time. And either way, we are moving to healing. I want to tell you a quick story from. I'm just giving you lots of good honesty, and I'll wrap it up with this. When I worked in a bookstore. I worked in a bookstore full-time, but I also pastored the church in Loon Lake full-time and taught here on Wednesday nights. I was very tired. And uh, almost every time I would start to get a cold or flu or something, I would just begin to just say, oh, by His stripes, I'm healed. And I'd sing and I'd I'd believe. And you know what? Most of the time it just dissipated. There was one time One time I was at work, and some of you know this story. One time I was at work, and I started to feel sick, and I said to myself, I really could use a day off. I could really use a day off. And it was like a light switch had been turned, and I got sick fast. Now, was God making me sick? No. But I believe I just said, hey, here I am. (laughs) I opened myself up to something. And I had a cough and a throat issue that stuck with me for months and months and I could not get well. And my sister said to me, she said, can you sing at my wedding? One thing I want more than anything is that you'd sing at my wedding. And I said, Lib, I can't sing. I haven't been able to sing at church. I can't sing for your wedding. I can't sing right now. I don't know what's wrong, but I can't sing. She said, please. I said, I I don't, there's nothing I can do. When it came time to her wedding, her wedding was in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I had been praying about this. I said, Lord, what am I still doing with this? The Lord brought back this moment where I said, maybe I could use a break. And you know, when Jesus healed people, sometimes he healed them and sometimes it cast out a, a spirit of infirmity. And sometimes it was the same disease. He'd look at one person and heal them, and another person, he'd cast out an unclean spirit. Because sometimes sickness is just broken nature, and sometimes sickness is a spirit. And we need to discern the difference. And, And as I was praying, the Lord pointed out and said, there's been a spirit of infirmity resting on you. And you need to address this different. Because I've been just kind of treating it like every other sickness where I just kind of pray through it. And he said, you need to address it. That's a spirit. So I started believing this way. I started praying this way. The night before the wedding, I was walking through the hotel and Tracy Harris came up to me and said, son, how are you doing? He put his arm around me and he stopped. And he said, you have a spirit of infirmity resting on you, don't you? I said, yeah, I've been praying about it. He said, well, two or three agree touching anything. We have what we've asked for. Joined his hand with me and we prayed. And the next day I sung at my sister's wedding and my voice was clear. And every trace of that sickness went away. And Jesus didn't say, go back and say 10 Hail Marys. our fathers, crawl on broken glass. Do you know all he required of me? All he required of me was to believe in his goodness. That's what he requires of you. You have a right to be whole. You've been struggling with, with illness, depression, discouragement, oppression of any sort. Jesus is every sort of healer. He heals all kinds of diseases and ailments. He heals demon-possessed people. He heals, he heals demon-oppressed people. He heals people who come with their issues that are brought on themselves. And he heals people that come with their issues that have nothing to do with them. But all, in all cases, he is the healer. And if you just say, I have a right. And it may sound arrogant, but sometimes you need to, you notice the people he's impressed with? are the people that everybody else is saying, how arrogant. Anytime somebody impressed Jesus with their faith, everybody else was saying, how do you, why why would you save this? The man says, just say a word. My my kid will be healed. My servant will be healed. The woman says, I'll eat the crumbs from the table, but you can heal my kid. I don't care if you came to the Israelites. I'm going to get something from you. How arrogant. And yet she got healed. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, the religious people said, how arrogant. Do you realize that a religious spirit responds to faith with those words? How arrogant. Because they think it's coming from you, but it's not coming from you. Your faith is not in you. Your faith is in him. You're not saying, look how good I am. Look what I deserve. You're saying, look how good he is. I'm not going to be healed because I'm good. I'm going to be healed because he's good. I've got a right believe him. I got a right to say, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. I got a right to say that. That's crazy. I don't have any right. That woman broke the law by going to Jesus with an unclean body in front of the very guy who could get her busted for it, the chief of the synagogue. And she goes and says, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Jesus didn't find her. She found him. And he looked at her and he said, your faith, woman, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. It was his power. It wasn't her power. It was his power. It was his goodness. It was his holiness. But it was her faith that believed in his goodness that saw a miracle that day. Will you believe in that? I don't I'm have any. Amen. I, I work at the school. And yeah. And uh, they do the morning session of smoking. Uh huh. And so I, it had to be my time to go with the kids around the thing. Yeah. The circle. So I stood beside the woman, the elder, with her with her apparatus. She couldn't light it, she just mm-hmm. died on <laughs> it up, and I just walked with her. I around the a circle. And she just couldn't light it. six <laughs> matches later, she just died. and she just walked away from me. But before that, I had asked for boldness. Mm-hmm. I'm such a woman. But before I became a Christian, I was a woman. But now, I, I just want to just go out there and hug people. Thank God. And so, I love my kids. Yeah. I got a thousand kids. Yeah. And I wanna
1: save them. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And
0: so and every morning I get a kiss, a hug from my little tapons. And little tapons is a little great grandson, yeah. great because 'cause I've talked to their parents and her grandparents. Mm-hmm. So i the elder now. Yes, yes. But I believe in the Lord so Amen. So great and the faith is so strong and um but I need prayer to help me along as I go along with my family. Amen. So long, well, we're gonna pray with you today. I work at the school. Yeah. I'm not, I ask for boldness. amen praise god well you're gonna get it amen. amen stand with me today let's pray